Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about season four, episode 19, New Moon Rising. All right, so this episode, man, I think this episode, Where the Wild Things Are and Superstar, three episodes that I probably have seen the least out of the show. I'm sure there's other ones that I haven't seen as much, probably like in season six, maybe in seven. But this episode, I haven't seen and it's always really hard for me to go back to it because you all know I love Oz, but I will say I was pleasantly surprised. There were moments in this episode that I do not remember that I was very glad for. There's some good conversations that are had um, and some great emotional moments, but what did you guys all think? Well, I texted you earlier, Sarah. Oh, by the way, I'm here. Hello, everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> David's oh, yeah. We here. forgot to introduce David. <laughs> <laughs> He's been here so many times we forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our brother David's here. Hello, David. I think we also said, too, in a couple other episodes, it was like last episode was Where the Wild Things Are. We said, oh, David will be here next week. And I just assumed you're part of us now. We just assume you're here all the time. It wasn't even weird. I just was like, yeah, David's here. I completely forgot to introduce him. <laughs> but no one can <laughs> no one can see him. So they're like, uh, there's a male voice happening right now. People get a jump scare with a with a deep voice. <laughs> David just decided to pop in in the middle of our recording and now he's just gonna talk about this episode. So this is great. <laughs> All right, David, give us your thoughts about the episode. Yeah, I texted Sarah earlier today while I was rewatching the episode before the uh, the podcast. And I forgot how unlikable they make Oz in this episode. And I uh-huh. love Oz. Oz is one of my favorite characters. And uh, yeah, it it's not as bad as I remember it being, but it's still, I don't know. I remember now looking back on it, I remember really disliking it the first time I watched it. And I was like, mm-hmm. Ugh. and then I rewatched it again now. And there are some good things, like Sarah said, but overall, it is not one of my favorite episodes. I think it's just, this episode is such a detriment, not just to Oz's character, but to Oz and Willow's relationship, which I know that they had to do that. Um, Well, they didn't have to do it like that, but they had to put their relationship to rest for Tara's and Willow's to blossom. But just the way they did it was such a slap in the face to their relationship and to Oz's character in general. And it just feels like such a disservice. It's such a disservice. Like, we have been building up Willow and Oz for, what, two, three seasons? And for it to just end like this was just not good writing. Can I also just say, I don't feel like it was truthful to the characters and to the relationship as well. And I know a lot of people disagree with that, and that's fine. And I'll kind of point out some of my reasons throughout the episode. But I just felt like this didn't feel like Oz... Um, they felt weird together, like in this episode, and like again, like Leah said, I understand why they had an episode like this. I just I wish that it was written better, and he was left in a different note, yeah, I, I agree with you, tabby. um, that's something else I was texting Sarah earlier is that 
I understand that they wanted Willow to move on and be with Tara. Like that's the future of her character. That's obviously where her her um, story arc is going. So I totally understand that. Don't have a problem with it. Um, you know, Willow goes on to some really interesting things. I just wish that they could have not thrown Oz under the bus for the sake of moving Tara and Willow together. I feel like there was a better, more gentle way of doing that um, to Oz rather than just having him come across as not authentic to him or their relationship. It's one of those things as well where I think because of the time it was made, people did not view sexuality as very, as more fluid. They viewed it as very black and white. Bisexuality was, it was not really considered a valid, um, a valid, yeah, thank mm-hmm. you, Tabby. It was yeah. not considered a very valid um, thing. It was considered experimental or kind of like, you know, the gateway a phase drug. or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. Um, and so I think that the writers try, and I'm trying to give them benefit of that. I think that the one of the reasons why they felt the need to do this was just in case anyone wanted to say, oh, it's just a phase, they could say like, oh, well, Willow chose uh, Tara over Oz. It's not a phase. But they, I don't feel like they needed to do that. Like, I, oh, I can't give spoilers. But like, I think it's just one of those things where I felt that they, ha- I feel that they felt like they had to make it so extreme to not get people questioning Willow and Tara. But the way that they did it just didn't feel natural, authentic to the characters. But I just feel like they – I would have even bought it more if it was just Willow being like, I moved on, I love Tara, and this is where I'm at now, and I want to explore this. I would respect that. It would suck. It would burn. But, like, I would respect that. It's the fact that, like – sorry, Sarah, I'm about to step on your toes. You're about but, like, to take my my point that I talked about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tabs. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, fine. Then you say it. No, then. it's okay. Go ahead. Say my point. <laughs> um, she doesn't make a choice in this episode to choose Tara. And yep. I I know that's unpopular, but yeah, the show sets it up so that she has no other choice but to choose Tara. And I think that's a disservice to Tara and Willow's relationship, and to the Oz. story they're trying to tell, and to Oz and Willow's relationship. And Oz is a character. If you're going to really sit here and do the whole like, like, Willow is gay now. Will likes women. Then you have a strong point for you already. Just have her go. Mm-hmm. I like women now. I want to be with Tara. We never had that. We just had. We have something between us. But being with Oz brought back all these feelings. There were those conversations. So now it's confusing. Yeah, also, I think it's a little um, ins- insincere to be like, "Well, Willow's just lesbian now," um, and just write off all of her feelings for Oz. Like, I understand that in the early 2000s, it wasn't quite as, um, I, I guess, accepted or um, understood. And so the lines between straight, bisexual, uh, lesbian were all kind of very black and white and not um, as fluid as they are today. But I don't think there's anything wrong with saying Willow's bisexual. She had feelings for Oz. Now she has feelings for Tara. And uh, 
and she had feelings for both Xander. Of those relationships. Right. And she had exactly Leah. She had feelings for Xander too. Forgot about that. So validating Willow's feelings and not making it seem like, oh, well, Willow just discovered that she's lesbian and now she's not in the guys at all, which kind of makes you be like, well, but she was with Oz for the better part of like, what, a season and a half? And they had a great relationship. Uh, and it makes you feel like, well, was any of that real? Or was she just, she hadn't figured out that she didn't like guys yet? Um, and it, you know, it, it, it becomes a little frustrating. Yeah. No, I agree with everything you guys have to say. And I, I do disagree slightly in that, in saying I, that is a complete disservice to Oz's character. I honestly think the disservice to Oz's character started with Wild at Heart. <laughs> and this is just having to do the cleanup of that. I think that Oz comes off better in this episode than he did in Wild at Heart. And this, the episode was leaning into the themes that they started in that episode in an effort to say, look, this is why they won't work. And we'll talk about why they do that in a second. There's there's reasons and choices and stuff like that. And I definitely have more to say as we get to specific moments in the episode. Um, but I just wanted to say too, like we have a spoiler section. Uh, if you want to buy us a coffee and join our member tier, you can hear all our unfiltered thoughts that, you know, Lee and Tabby were about to say. So definitely t- check that out. It's buymeacoffee.com slash becoming Buffy. And yeah, we have lots of good stuff that we talk about there. We talk about how the characters fit into the overarching series, sometimes even how they fit onto Angel. Um, so yeah, I, I always find it really fascinating. And it's honestly a breath of fresh air to be able to talk about all that stuff unfiltered um, and kind of get out everything we've been wanting to say over here on the regular uh, spoiler-free section. So All right, let's jump into the episode because lots of things to say. So written by Leah's favorite writer, Marty Noxon, because of course, she writes all the Willow and Oz stuff, I feel like. Oh, (laughs) she is a curse on this show, bro. And Joss. (laughs) And Joss. Uh, Directed by James A. Contner, aired May 2nd, 2000. So this episode was nominated for the Hollywood Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild Awards in the category Best Special Makeup Effects in a Series, which is interesting because I don't feel like Oz is very much – like he's not in here too much. Um, but I will say Tara's makeup and hair does look stunner, stunning, so maybe that's what they're mm-hmm. referring to. The New York Daily News referred to this as a landmark in TV history because of the implied kiss between Willow and Tara at the end with the candle. Marty Noxon states in the audio commentaries of episodes Wild at Heart that she says a Willow-Oz trilogy is the episode's phases, Wild at Heart, and New Moon Rising, which really frustrates me because phases introduces that Oz is a werewolf but doesn't go much beyond that. Wild at Heart is where they literally have him suddenly can't control his uh, werewolf side two seasons later, and he ends up cheating on Willow and then leaving town. And New Moon Rising is Willow deciding she wants to be with someone else, Oz still can't control his wolf, and leaves. I don't think that's an arc, if you ask me. I think that's just three, almost feels like three completely separate characters shoved together to make it's just three episodes about him being a werewolf yeah exactly (laughs) that's the the only similarity but each (laughs) episode him being a werewolf has something different in it and even a different theme or point to the episode as well Mm-hmm. Except for all men are beasts. That's the yeah, one common stupid theme. stupid Marty Noxon. <laughs> Might as well throw in Beauty and the Beast if we're really going down that road. Like, okay. Yes. So, like, that one has a little bit more on theme to this episode. Um, I agree. Yes, I agree with you, Tabs. 
I kind of I I do think that there is a common theme or like comparison that the show Marty whoever decides to make between Angel and Oz is like oh Angel's this beast like in Beauty and the Beast like Tabby mentioned you know Angel's this beast and then Oz is struggling with his beast and stuff like that but that was shown almost as if Oz could control it slightly because he chose to go after the right bad guy um and that's probably the only time that it was really mentioned more in a positive light. Um, and then in this episode, they're using Willow, Oz, and Tara as kind of a subtextual and not so subtextual um, analogy for Buffy and Angel's relationship, which we'll get into as well. So after the episode aired in which Willow comes out and chooses to stay with Tara, a group of internet board posters sent show creator Joss Whedon an engraved toaster to thank him for the storyline. This was a reference to the coming out show of Ellen in 1994, um, which Jane Espenson, who also works on Buffy, she wrote on there as well. Um, there had been a running joke about the LGBTQ movement awarding every newly out person a toaster for joining. So they sent one to Joss, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. The new moon is commonly known as a time for new beginnings. Not only does it begin a new cycle, but it ends the old ones. Not to mention a woman's cycle is generally every month. Plus, the new moon is important for both witches and werewolves. So I think this is kind of like a very clever title. Um, the episode fits well into the season theme of identity as Willow doubles down on her chosen identity, not only as a witch, but now as a lesbian. And like I said before, there were some great conversations that should have been happening in other episodes, but it was so good to see characters actually talking, <clears throat> Buffy and Riley, because, you know, they haven't been doing much talking. So I will say my favorite part of the show or this episode were the conversations specifically between uh, Willow and Oz at the end and Buffy and Riley. And then there's even that great conversation between Buffy and Willow too. So like the dialogue is and we've always said this, dialogue is Marty Noxon's strong point. She does really well with dialogue. She's not great when it comes to story arcs and plot points, but she can write some stellar dialogue. Um, all right. So we, I kind of mentioned this before again, but my two complaints, and one of them we've already talked about, but the first one is I feel like this episode struggles with the rehashing of the same conflict for Riley's character that we had earlier in the season. We're nearing the end of the season, and there's been five or so episodes that had nothing to do with Riley or the initiative. We had the two-parter Faith episodes. We had Superstar about Jonathan. And then we had Wild at Heart, which was just about like Riley and Buffy having sex. Like, And then now we have this episode. And so before that, there was maybe six or seven episodes before that that even had nothing to do with Riley's arc or the initiative. And so it feels like the show was kind of like, oh my gosh, we're nearing the end of the season. We need to do a recap of what's been happening. So we're just going to cover the same plot points as before. So we're all caught up so we can now move fully into the big bad storyline for the end of the season, um, which they're not even going to do very much next episode, which is hilarious. Um we literally learned nothing new about Riley this episode. I'm In Goodbye, Iowa, we had the moment where – or it was um, the Iron Team, the moment where he walks away from Maggie Walsh. Goodbye, Iowa, he's wrestling with who am I uh, and leaving the initiative and all that stuff. And I, I do think that this episode made me like Riley a bit more because we see him wrestling again with what is literally the only interesting thing about him. But it feels like the show is just rehashing things simply for the benefit of the viewer and not for the benefit of the characters. Um, and I'll have more specifics to say as we get to those scenes. Uh, the second complaint is the metaphor is a bit convoluted. So Buffy and Angel 
as the shows, are heading into more of a gray area when it comes to their portrayal of demons. But that works much better on a show like Angel that has a character that lives and thrives in the morally gray versus Buffy where the main heroine has to work in a very black and white area. She has to. Her job depends on it. The show's premise depends on Buffy being able to be a vampire slayer. And this is where I feel like Buffy really starts to break down in its metaphors when it tries too hard to relate the demons and the vampires with the oppressed group. Um, And we saw this in Pangs and we're seeing them do it with Spike and we're seeing them in this episode, like uh, even making kind of a metaphor for LGBTQ as like, oh, they're, you know, Riley's being bigoted towards demons, but it's supposed to be a metaphor for people being bigoted towards gay people. Um, And that becomes a problem because the demons are supposed to be the bad guys. They're supposed to be evil. So Mark Field says this, and I quote, there's a tolerance theme, obviously, with Oz as the text and Angel, Willow, and Tara as the barely subtext. That's all good, but it creates a real potential for misunderstanding the entire rest of the series. I've actually seen people argue from this episode that vampires and demons symbolize an oppressed class and that Buffy is an oppressor because she slays them. I've even seen the syllogism that A, black people are the most oppressed class in America, and B, vampires and demons therefore represent them. Thus, C, Buffy is racist. He talks about how treating vampires and demons in general are representative of an oppressed class because they're supposed to be evil. And also because it's pretty clear that the external demons are already supposed to be metaphors for our internal ones. So that's that gets into a very convoluted area when you're saying that, you know, oppressed people (laughs) like then you can say oppressed people are evil like whoa that gets that's just so wrong on so many levels and that gets to be so tricky the metaphors Um, don't work like like it's i know how like they're supposed to be in the show there's there's the the obvious metaphor that works really well in in day-to-day life and then there's the let's use something that's only used in the supernatural world that can be used as a symbol but also not really but it becomes very convoluted when you have both the obviousness episode and then the foil for it symbolically and it doesn't go together and then it Mm -hmm. gives us conflicting views on our heroine well i would i would say uh an example of it done right would be the X-Men, um, mm-hmm. which when yes. Stan Lee created them, yeah. they became a symbol for the civil rights movement because it was in the 60s. Um, and then, you know, now later on in like the 2000s, things like that, they became more co-opted into the yeah, LGBTQ movement and, um, you know, so on and so forth. And they, they very well represent a lot of different subclasses of uh marginalized people groups um but the x-men are not demons they're just normal people that happen to be different from uh with you know no fault of their own no Mm -hmm. choice of their own they just happen to be different well in buffy we're talking about literal hell lords that (laughs) inhabit people's bodies like and if buffy left them alone they go around killing people. If the X-Men are left alone, which is what they want, they just live normal lives. Uh, you know, so like, obviously the analogy breaks down. So I, I can see what they're trying to do, but it becomes very problematic when you try to make a symbol out of a like obvious villain, an obvious, uh, evil person. Um, 
there's no nuance and it leads to really problematic areas. And it does lead to problematic areas later on in the show too, when you have characters that are supposed to be evil and then people start becoming conflicted being like, well, demons and vampires like are, can be oppressed or like Buffy's really in the wrong. And so then you start having issues where it's like Buffy starts being painted in the wrong, not by necessarily sometimes by the writers or sometimes by the people that are watching this show because it's no longer consistent. And we'll talk more about that in spoilers because, yeah, I don't want to get into it too much here. Um, But Markfield goes on to say, he says, the metaphor in Newman Rising can work, and I think this is what Tabby and David were trying to say, but only in very narrow, carefully defined cases. As a general rule, the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness are evil and should be slayed, as Buffy does on site with vampires. There have been and will continue to be exceptions to that rule, but it must remain the default. And I agree with that. I, I think Buffy works the best when they hone in on the external demons are metaphors for internal ones um, and not try to make it so much about a specific people group and stuff. Um, and that's where we've seen the show really struggle with this season. And I mentioned Pangs before where there you have the Native Americans, the indigenous people are compared to the marginalized, I say with quotations, vampires. And you're like, wait a minute, but they're evil. But then they make the indigenous people the bad guys by the end because it's supposed to be the spirit of them. And you're just like, this is just messy on so many levels. So I think that the show needs to be very careful when it uses this metaphor. And it's just, it's not super great in this episode. You know, I just remembered, um, you might find this interesting, everybody. Um, I don't, you, you may even know this, Sarah, but I, I brought up the X-Men and I was just thinking, actually around the time that Joss Wheaton was heading Buffy, he was actually a writer on the X-Men. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote a whole run of in their comic books it's actually a really good uh storyline uh, one of the the most iconic uh, x-men storylines and it leans very heavily into themes of marginalization and he uh brings in um queer elements and uh kind of um uses the symbolism of the x-men a lot more um i guess blatantly uh, with the queer elements in that. And if I remember the timelines correctly, it was around the time of the season. I think it was early 2000s or maybe late 90s. Um, so you can see that Joss is really trying or he's 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 thinking through these things with himself. And I think he's using his uh, his work, the art, as a method to explore these ideas and the changing culture that was happening in the early 2000s. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that he bases he based Buffy's character off of Kitty Pride, like he very clearly has a, a an attachment to the X Men. Um, I still think it's funny that he tried to make it canon that Buffy was a distant co- cousin of Scott Summers. I didn't know that. That's interesting. All right, Tabs. Uh, anyway, the first scene of the episode. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Um, Will and Tara walking in the streets is very bright and sunny and they hold hands for the first time out in public, which I'm like, that's very gutsy of them. Like, what if Buffy popped up and then they have to like out themselves? <laughs> like they're very Buffy bold, probably wouldn't even, even notice. There, there's been that's so true. many moments. Last this entire episode, season. she caresses her arm and Buffy doesn't <laughs> right. even see it. Buffy's like, what best friends? <laughs> Buffy's gaydar is just super missing. <laughs> Buffy's like, and they were roommates. <laughs> no, literally. And this is just like so 
a so lesbian of them to like talk about like owning a cat together. Like, okay, can we be any more on the nose? <laughs> well, except that Willow doesn't like cats, so I don't know. <laughs> she's the the dog. She's not a lesbian. Again. She's not a lesbian. Is that like Joss Whedon being like, oh, she is actually bi. She doesn't like cats. <laughs> there we go. We have our proof. The moment where Buffy comes in and Will is talking about being conflicted because of Tara, Will is actually hugging a stuffed animal dog. So <laughs> there's a lot of like cat and dog stuff. I mean, because Oz is supposed to be a, a dog, a wolf. So I don't know. It's it, It's interesting how they're doing this. So um, Tara mentions that she's excited for the Scooby meeting. This is will be her first like official Scooby meeting with the whole gang, which is very monumental. Um, so we see back over at Giles' house, Willow's like being very cute and kind of like translating everything for Tara. And Tara's just very like, like sweet. She's like, okay, yeah, I got it, Willow. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then as Giles is lecturing Anya about being whiny and having bad timing and such, everyone kind of slowly pans their eyes over towards the door and dun, 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 Oz is in the doorway. The one important thing out of this moment is that Riley mentions that the initiative has actually been really busy. Um, and this is something that was cut. There was actually so much cut out of the script and like some important stuff that is filling in the gaps, specifically between Adam. Um, there, like that moment so like where- storyline? The main storyline. <laughs> story <laughs> They're like, hmm, what can we skip in this episode? How about all the stuff that actually correlates to the end of the season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. We don't need to do that. This is just review anyway. Well, we'll cover that all. It's like they keep pushing it back. We'll cover it next episode. We'll cover it next episode. Meanwhile, there's yeah, like we four episodes, episodes left, left of season four. in the season. Yeah. This is why Adam is easily the most forgettable, like, big oh, bad of any far, season. Dude. Like, like I forget far. that Adam even exists until season four comes around. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, right. Like, Adam's a thing. Yeah. The So this moment, Riley says, except the weird thing that we've been busy at the initiative, our squads are actually pulling in a lot more captures. We've got demons coming out of our ears. So the part that was cut out was when Graham and his squad and the other squad were attacked in the forest, that was actually Adam sending demons through, I forget the other guy's name, the guy we saw in uh, Superstar, that one vampire who plays Chuck in Supernatural. Um, he is supposed to be in this episode, but they cut him out. So Adam sending demons to test how strong they are against the initiative in an effort to try to cleanse the world. And he's seeing that they're not strong enough, that he needs someone stronger. And that's why it leads into him going after Spike, because he wants Spike to try to, well, we don't know exactly why, but like infiltrate the Scoobies, either to tear them apart or try to get Buffy on his side or whatever. So yeah, they don't really explain that at all. No. They don't. It's, yeah. They're, it's like they're shooting themselves in the foot. I don't get what they're doing over here. I just don't think they even like Adam. Like, the way that they yeah. write it, they're like, get <laughs> off my screen. I guess we'll have to cut down your lines because I'm so bored with you. Like, that's the energy that it's giving. They clearly don't know what they're doing with him. It's very obvious. Yeah. Um. So Oz is standing in the doorway, and then Tara, you could tell right away, just is aware just by the energy that it is Oz. Um. And like I credit to Xander kind of goes up, breaks the ice, greets him and is like, hey, like you haven't been calling like I've, I've been, you know, I we've been missing you, that sort of thing. Um, and Oz just has a one track mind, walks over to Willow and is like, hey, like I'd love to talk to you later uh, when we have time. Can I come to your room? And she's like, sure. I'm sorry, but it's so sexy that Oz immediately goes in the room and goes to like Willow and is like, 
can we talk? Like, he is there for her and it's unashamed. <laughs> I just, yeah, can we not do that? Because then I'll be so sad at the end of the episode. Oz is just, <laughs> Oz is just the best. Like, I just can't. Like, even in his worst episode, I'm like, Oz. I, I agree with you, Tabs. I appreciate that Xander broke the ice first. Um, All right. I have a question for you guys. Do you all think the way that Oz left in Wild at Heart was wrong? Because some people, and it's inferred in this in this moment, the Scoobies are uncomfortable. Some people seem to think that it was and that he and Willow should discuss how he left, that it was inappropriate, that he hurt her, all this other stuff. What do you guys think about that? He kind of talks about it, though. I mean, we kind of assume they talk all night about it. But even from the conversation we see, he says, I know what I put you through and I'm not going to rush you. So I think that he's aware. I don't think it was right. Um, It's just hard for me to see the episode and actually for me to take it seriously only because I know it was literally shoehorned in one week because um, he quit and then Joss was mad. Um, so it's hard for me to like really see it as a serious plot point rather than just like them writing it in for an episode. But I will say I choose to view it as I think it kind of makes sense for his character. Do I like that they put it in there? But I think they can stretch it in a way for his character. And here's the reason why. Oz doesn't show, I'm going to sound like such an educator. Oz doesn't show a lot of big emotions. <laughs> um, <laughs> He he doesn't like he's you could tell he's very uncomfortable with like even when like Willow was literally held captive, the most he did was just literally take the whatever the cauldron, whatever that was, and like smash it on the floor and everyone was like, Okay, got it. <laughs> We're gonna go get Willow back. Like we've never seen him raise his voice, which oh makes me so mad in this episode. I'm like, why this episode? I just can't stand it. I can't stand it. We're not there yet, Tabby. Okay. But what I'm saying is is he doesn't show big emotions. And I think it scared him and he was uncomfortable with the fact that he could hurt Willow um, in Wild at Heart and was scared of his own reaction with uh, Veruca and was like, I can't do it. I'm not. I, he just needs to go into therapy. Every single char- character needs to go into therapy in this show. Mm-hmm. Freaking pretty much. Uh, literally everyone. Uh, everyone Everybody in the, 2000s. in the early 90s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> early 2000s. Eden, Marty Knox. We've, we, we've come a, a far way and also not at all. Um, but I just feel like he's very uncomfortable with his big emotions. He's very uncomfortable with like, if we're going to be a Marty Knox in here, because she penned all this, his it, monster side of himself. Um, I think that he just, for his character, it makes sense for his reaction. Um, I just don't, I just wish that we just didn't have that side of him that was penned because sometimes I'm like, okay, I have to kind of at one, some point look at what they're writing and kind of take it as face value because they've written it so many times. Even though I don't think I see that in him, I guess I just have to like believe it because it's been written so many times. So even in this episode, this is the worst one that's written for Oz's character because the way he responds, I'm like, what in the world? Like at least having him be a werewolf and having that whole monster side, sure. Um, have to be scared about that. But then having him react that emotionally does not make sense to me because we have not seen that at all. Well, also to add to that, I think that Oz is a very controlled character. He, you can you can tell he desires control. That's why he hates being a werewolf because he didn't have control. It was something that was out of his power. That's why he ultimately left 
Willow was because he didn't feel like he was in control of the werewolf power and that scared him and it scared it was scary to think of the idea of him harming Willow out of his control. Um, so I think he left. I think the way he left was not the best. I think that he did not handle leaving Willow the best by just kind of like leaving her. I think that was kind of scummy. Um, but I also think it makes sense for Oz's character. We've seen him a lot kind of retreat and try and figure things out by himself. Um, and then come once he has the answer. And I think that that, in a sense, in this episode is in his character. It'll be like, all right, I'm back. I figured it out. Um, but like yelling at her and all that just it it's almost contrary to why he left in the first place like he it's like he regressed and I know that's what they're trying to say but it just didn't make sense I can understand Oz wanting to go away and like figure his stuff out and get safe um I see it more as Oz is afraid of hurting somebody than he is needing like ultimate control over his life. Like, I, I think he does obviously want control over this, but I think that Oz's fear is less of having control and more of hurting people, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is a form of control, but I don't think the emphasis is on the control. I think it's on the safety. And Oz prioritizes everybody else's safety, specifically Willow's safety above his own uh, enjoyment, above his own safety, above his own um, you know, desires, things like that. So I can understand him wanting to go away and, and do that. Um, but that's one of the reasons why it was a little like super out of character for him to kind of blow up in this episode. It's like, I don't see him doing that. I think that Oz would be more hurt and retreat in himself and kind of run from that situation rather than exploding the way that he did that seems more in character for oz's reaction to be hurt to internalize it and think oh is it something that i did that willow wouldn't trust me enough to tell me i i feel like that's how oz would actually react instead of exhibiting anger yeah i think they're just trying to show that that's the wolf that's not necessarily like well i guess the wolf is part of him that's what he literally says um but i will i will again go back to the fact that because they did not delve into oz's character specifically through the wolf and did not like build up on that storyline it actually is hampering how they're doing this transition for willow uh being in a relationship with tara because it doesn't make Oz's responses and reactions believable and it makes it just super obvious that Willow's going to pick Tara. Like you don't ever really get the sense that oh my gosh, Willow's not going to pick Tara in this episode because of how Oz is acting. And I think that's a huge that's a detriment when we have to fill in the gaps and kind of put aside everything we what we know about Oz for, you know, multiple seasons and try to justify his actions in this episode based simply upon two episodes of what feels like uncharacteristic behavior. That's not a well-written character. And that really makes it not easy for us to accept the next relationship going forward because it feels like, and I think one of you guys mentioned it, feels like they threw Oz under the bus um, in an effort to move Willow forward in her relationship with Tara. So it is what it is, and we kind of have to just take it for what it is. And I think that there is a better way to prop women up than tearing men down. And I feel like mm. there's a little bit of that in this episode, is they want to make Tara and Willow's relationship a priority, 
Um, and I think that they were a little worried about people comparing the relationships and wanting Oz back and not accepting Tara. Yes, so they kind of had to make Oz seem like bad to a certain extent for Willow so that they wouldn't want that. But my my um, reply to that would be, well, just make Tara and Willow's relationship amazing so that everybody yeah. loves their relationship if that's where you want to go. Like the answer yep. isn't, the answer to building someone up isn't tearing someone else down. It's, you know, you just make that person or that relationship better for uh, Willow, for the character that you want than Oz was. It would have done more for their relationship if they had just had, like I said earlier, if they had just had a, even if the whole episode was a will they, won't they again with, or who she going to choose between Oz and uh, Tara and had both of them be just phenomenal people, that would have been way more compelling. Even if there's no fantastical stuff happening, we could have the whole Riley thing on the side. Um, I felt like they just kind of used Oz this episode to show a different side of Riley's character, which again, it's like, why are we using Oz as a detriment to all these other character arcs kind of moving forward? Um, we They literally could have just had a, who's she going to pick? They're both great. And if even if at the very end she's like, I choose Tara because I love her and I want to like see where this is going, that would still be so strong and it would actually benefit their relationship way more. I also think it just does a disservice to Tara's character to think that you need to kind of like bomb Oz's character in order to give them a chance. Tara and Willow are like their relationship is is kind and it's like it has not really brought out like this evil side of Willow. Like them together has been very tender and I I don't think that Tara in any way is bad for Willow and I I actually think that our relationship is is very sweet in a lot of ways. But it's just like it could have been it could have stood on its own two legs. It didn't need to stand off of the corpse of Oz <laughs> and Willow's relationship. I agree with you, Leah. I was actually thinking about that. I feel like they've done a fairly good job. Like if you like let's compare Willow and Tara's build up of their relationship to Riley and Buffy's. They're doing a much better job of introducing Tara to us and showing the chemistry and the organic uh, progression of their relationship versus Riley, who they're shoving down our throats. But they're not actually showing Riley and Buffy, except for this episode, really working through anything super hard and actually talking about it versus Willow and Tara have to work through something in this episode and have had to work through things in past episodes. So I, I agree. I think they had a really strong case for the two of them and they should have focused more on that. So in the graveyard, my goodness. Okay. Buffy and Riley and they're like kind of simultaneously talking about Willow and Oz and Riley's attitude towards finding out that he's a werewolf is just like well he's dangerous like um it's it's very black and white sort of thing like he is a monster he's a demon I'm surprised that Willow is that type of girl is what he says um and then Buffy's like well love isn't logical I sometimes you can't be all sent like a sensible all the time. God knows I haven't been. And then they leave on a weird note. I just am like, oh my word, if you could have one scene that just completely encapsulates their whole relationship and how they don't work, it's <laughs> definitely this like two minute scene of them here in the graveyard. I can, uh, one of the, the things that I actually appreciated about 
Riley in this episode was that he does learn from his mistakes. Yeah. Um, because I can understand coming from a place of prejudice um, when you're only, especially, and this is where the metaphor breaks down because these are, you know, demons and monsters. When your only interaction with these demons and monsters has been them trying to kill you. And then someone says, oh, yeah, my friend is dating one. You're like, what? Um, now, the the metaphor is obviously, you know, them trying to make some sort of comparison to, uh, you know, biracial relationships or um, queer relationships and then people instinctively lashing out against them. But the metaphor breaks down because Riley has a history of like these monsters literally trying to kill him. So I get what they're trying to do, but his bias in this case is well-founded um, yeah. versus like racist or homophobic bias in real life comes from a place of, of, you know, usually misunderstanding or no real um, reason for, for the hate. It, it the metaphor is done poorly, but I am glad that Riley at least learns from his mistakes in this. Yeah, I don't have fault with um him thinking that way because he changes at the end of the episode. It's more of the fact that they just have very different viewpoints on life and people and love and relationships and monsters and like the gray areas of life. They just fundamentally think very differently. And I think it's just drawing this little wedge in their relationship. Um, whether or not he comes around, I think that he just has a different viewpoint on how life works than Buffy. Um, and like, I'm glad that he grows in this episode and I'm glad that he like challenges that part of himself, but it's like, they're just very, just so they're just very different. Um, even like I, I don't know, like that part where she like kills the vampire super quickly. She's like, "Oh, it's no fun when they're that easy." It's just like, <laughs> okay, so you guys are like, I, I just kind of like, I thought it was just very funny. I thought it, I viewed it as like, um, an easier relationship that has like no real like spark. And because then she goes on to say, "Love isn't logical. Love is insensible." Like I like she hasn't been sensible in love before, and she's referring to Angel in that scene. She's not referring to like Riley. So, mm-hmm. um. They're making a little obvious that it's like, at least right now in their relationship, Buffy isn't feeling that same passion that she used to. See, I don't know that I agree with that. I think they wrote this specifically to create a way for them to talk about Angel. They've been dancing around Angel. Buffy's been dancing around Angel for several episodes now. Like you could tell like Willow was asking her back in uh, this this year's girl and who are you? Like, are you going to tell her? Um, And she's like, I'm not hiding Angel from her. I just don't. We've had just too much going on. Now there's a lull and they specifically talk about there being a lull. So Buffy's realizing she needs to broach this massive uh, relationship that she had in her past with Riley with someone who has been trained to kill demons and vampires and has no concept of a good vampire, um, that's very hard. And so on multiple levels, Buffy's wrestling with that. And so I think they had to put this in there to show that Riley does have those prejudices. Um, and then they introduce Oz as a way to show that someone can be both demon and also a good person. And by the end, you see Riley completely make that wedge between him and the initiative. And Buffy recognizes that now he has chosen Buffy and her way of thinking over his old way of thinking. And that's when she starts to trust him and she opens up about the angel stuff. It's inferred that she tells him and stuff. And so I don't necessarily think that this is meant to show that they're incompatible. 
it's just another way for them to kind of try to segue in the angel. And again, given what's going to happen next episode. Um, but I also do want to talk about like the way they dress Riley in this episode and just in episodes in general is very intentional. They're very purposeful and when they have them in uniform and when they have them in civilian clothes. And we talked about this in um, – I think it was the Iron team when he walks away from Maggie Walsh mm -hmm. and she's yelling after him and he's in his civilian clothes. It's very intentional to show that his, that's his first step in breaking away from the initiative. In this moment, he's wearing his initiative clothes. And this is the most, I say in quotations, bigoted he is all episode where he's talking about how demons you know, are bad and it's black and white and all this other stuff. Um, when he rescues Oz, when he's in in those moments in the initiative, he's not wearing his uniform. And it's very clear to show like there's already that breakaway that's happening. Um, and I mean, and I'll talk about more of his clothes in a minute because there's some other stuff. But I also wanted to talk about how Pash the Nerd points out <laughs> that Buffy's annoyance over Riley's demon bigotry shows kind of a major blind spot for Xander as he expresses a lot of the same feelings that Riley says in this episode, but Buffy never calls him out on it. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Xander, the king of do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Yes. I hate demons, but all my girlfriends yeah. are ex-demon. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, man. Sometimes I'm like, did the writers, was this intentional? Or are they just showing their own hypocrisy when writing Xander? Because sometimes it's just so obvious. That's the and question the of the lifetime, dude. The show does not hold Xander accountable for squat. It's very frustrating. I mean, Joss Whedon did say that Xander was him, and Joss Whedon's the king of lip service to feminism while also uh, bringing women down in real life. So, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes I think about that, and like when I'm watching something, and I'm like, uh, do the writers know that this person kind of freaking sucks or are they like like writing them like and having all these awful storylines but then still acting as if they're a good person like i think about the all yeah. time like who am i to blame here the character or the writer in this i mean this one is obvious but yeah <laughs> yeah um i also agree with passion the nerd that this feels like a regression in riley's character uh riley wrestled with all this stuff in goodbye iowa and while I know that when it comes to things like deconstructing your ingrained worldview, like it's going to take time, the show has mixed messages even within the episode itself. Like Buffy is quick to pull out the bigoted word, but then realizes by the end of the episode that she reacted much the same way to Willow's coming out. And then her and Riley's conversation at the end makes it seem as though neither one was actually being bigoted. They were just surprised. So we're left with the idea that Buffy was just overreacting to Riley's comments because of her past with Angel and that it wasn't actually Riley being bigoted. Um, and it's just it, in the end there's no point to that subplot and it just instead makes it messy because you're pointing back to marginalized people and comparing them with demons so I don't know I in the end there's no point and it it like it did nothing for the the plot and it feels like they just wanted to make a correlation with the supernatural and coming out just like they've been doing with all the other marginalized groups because they I don't know. They just never end up actually showing an actual bigoted person that is in the friend group. Like, obviously, they use Colonel McNamara or whatever his name is. Um, but it feels like, once again, the show is too afraid to portray Riley in any sort of a negative light. Like, they they don't even quite double down on what we think they're going to do in this moment. It just ends up being a way to, like, bring in the whole angel subplot. So I actually think it would have been super interesting if Buffy had a boyfriend that was just, like, outright bad. You know, that 
kind of, and I'm not talking about like her little one-off fling dude, what Parker? Oh, Parker. In the yeah. beginning yeah. of the season. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking about him. <laughs> that's like a, Leah's giving a single you side eye right obvious, now. <laughs> obviously, a mistake. Have you finished the show, David? <laughs> well, okay, but and it's hard to it's hard, Leah. It's hard to get into it's hard to get in the difference between the two, uh, unless I go into spoilers. Um, but you all know the differences and the reasons behind that. I'm talking about like a full on boyfriend that treats Buffy well, that uh, is kind oh, to like her, a, like nice to her. Yes. Like mm-hmm. a gaslighter. All right. Who pretends to be this nice, awesome, amazing boyfriend, but in reality is like bigoted and, you know, shows these, these um, deep seated problems and prejudices that come out more in the season. I think that would be interesting. That would have been, a much more interesting take on Riley, in my opinion, than what we end up getting, because what we end up getting is just kind of a forgettable character. Um, honestly, this there's a lot of things about this whole season that's very forgettable. Um, but if Riley had more of a edge to him, I think his whole character would have been more interesting. Yeah. Lean into the messiness because I think they were so afraid to make – they wanted people to love Riley so much. They were afraid to give him any sort of what they would consider a negative attribute characteristic. I'm like, it's still possible to have a flawed character that grows and learns from that and we can come to love. Like I actually would prefer that and I would find that more relatable instead of this guy that's almost like too perfect to the point where we're all like, this is boring. So – and Willow's dorm, Oz comes knocking – um, and then he's like, hey, like, I have something to show you outside. Um, and they go outside and they find out that it's a full moon and he is not turned into a werewolf. The freaking writers playing with our hearts with their theme. I know. It's just Gosh, so tender. Like, he just is so excited. Oh, my God. I hate this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Oz is, like, in the moment after they have, like, this, like, sweet, intimate hug. And he's like, I talked to Xander. He says, you don't have a new guy. Um, and she's like, yes, no new guy. <laughs> that is correct. Um he says, I know what I put you through and I'm not going to push, but I'm a different person than when I left and I can be what you need now. And that's why he's here. Like he tells her like right up front, like he's always been so upfront with her and it just breaks my heart. I can't do it. Oh. Um, and then the next scene, Graham and some guys get attacked by a werewolf. All right. Moving on. <laughs> poor Graham. Yeah. Poor Graham. Why couldn't it have been Forrest? For real. I mean, Graham is like the best one out of all of them. He's like so nice. And he gets like three lines and then gets like hit. Um, and then back in Willow's room, we see them talking. Um, it's morning time. And they they mentioned that they talked all night. Um, he told her about his time trying to like figure things out with his like werewolf side. Um, and that he basically just has to quote unquote, keep a cool and he'll be good. He like grabs her hand and he is like, hey, like we could like fall asleep or we can go to breakfast and buff or not buffy uh willow's like i like i want some breakfast leaves the room to go brush your teeth and then um tara knocks on the door there's a couple of lines that are cut out of this moment between oz and willow um and then there's also a moment like that moment when oz puts his hand over willow and they have like that moment the script says they both feel the charge of that simple touch 
Willow hesitates, remembering the feel of his body, but she pushes the feeling down. So I don't know. It's just very interesting how they show that Willow is simultaneously attracted to both Tara and Oz at the same time. And I don't know. I kind of, I really appreciate the nuance of that. I appreciate that it's not like just a switch. They could have made it that Willow's immediately just like not attracted to Oz at all when he comes back because now she's just with Tara. And I think I like this because this is realistic. Like, especially for someone that would be bi, you would have feelings for both of those people. And those feelings don't just go away, you know? Well, and, you know, uh, irregardless of the gender, if your ex shows up that you had a really intense relationship with and you're in the middle of trying to figure out or feelings for, you know, someone that you're with now, it's going to lead to some confusion and you're going to have to like figure out all those complicated feelings with your ex there and your new person there. And, um, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, a messy situation regardless of who or what your, uh, your romantic partners are. Um, so Tara kind of stammers, um, and then uh, just leaves abruptly. Oz is like, okay, shrugs. Um, and then we bounce over to Riley's room. We both have Riley and Buffy waking up in bed. Uh, Buffy kind of gets up immediately. And then, like, just like the this scene was just so well done. Like, I feel like when when the a couple's like mad at each other, it's just like everything small that they do every day all of a sudden just annoys him so much like riley doing push-ups probably never bugged her before but now she's thinking oh initiative boy doing push-ups and it just triggers whatever they talked about the night beforehand did you guys notice that buffy is wearing well first of all the uncomfiest sleep shirt ever like girl a starched collar to bed i'm sorry yeah those no. things stiff. i was thinking about the the other day because i was watching um a disney show and like one of the characters was wearing like a uh like a bedtime outfit and it was pants and then it was like a button up shirt and i remember thinking like that's so impractical to sleep in and then i remembered that i had those pj sets with the buttons yes, and i hated them they were so uncomfortable like why was that a thing who wants to sleep in buttons not me who wants to sleep in a starch but collar? there's a difference like- between like pj button up tops then like a literal dress shirt that those things yeah. are stiff no, thank you. And even the way that they had her sleeping, too, it looked like the collar was poking her in the cheek. I was like, this is not comfortable <laughs> at all. It reminded me back – it flashed me back to season one Buffy sleeping on crocheted pillows. I was like, that's the itchiest thing I've ever seen, girl. Like, stop. <laughs> um. Okay. So I talked about, like, Riley – and his wardrobe and stuff. First of all, the outfit that Buffy puts on with like Riley's shirt and her pants is the exact same outfit that Faith, Faith put on yeah. when she got up from sleeping with Riley, which is really interesting. Probably like the show the had, that was not intentional. They just <laughs> had that there. Um, but I've also noticed that blue is represented for Riley a lot in this show. Like once he kind of made that break away from the initiative, they stopped dressing him in green so much. Like he wore green shirts to kind of like, ooh, look guys, we're giving you hints that he's in the initiative before we even knew. But now they have him in blue a lot. Like his shirts are blue. He wears a lot of blue jeans. His Even his sheets that him and Buffy are sleeping in are blue. And they do this intentionally to show like 
the separation from the initiative. But also when he goes to help Oz, he brings him a blue hoodie. And you have that shot with Oz wearing the blue hoodie to kind of show that like Riley's a good guy. Riley's accepting Oz. Look, he's giving him his shirt, his like his color, his protection and stuff. So I just thought like it's very generic. It's like blue seems to fit Riley very well. Like it's he's just blue. But I thought that was it's interesting how they're using color to kind of show his break away from the initiative. He's supposed to be normal and good. And like when we think of like basic angel and or whatever, we think of like dark black leather and then like red sheets because that's what we have seen with Angel. So it's like with Riley, it's like blue, bright, good, normal, blue sheets. Like, yes. you know, so it's like yes. it's just the, the polar opposites of it. Mm-hmm. Um Buffy kind of mentions him. She's like, hey, like you sounded like Mr. Initiative. Demon's bad. Human's good. And he's like, is something wrong with that? Um, and then she kind of like, this conversation needs like a sit down. And I know they do later on. But, I like, agree. This, this conversation is like a sit down. Hey, here's how I view life <laughs> and people and demons and what my job and ultimately who I am is because of this mindset. She is the slayer, you know? Um and she's like, there, things are different with different demons. There's a different, like, ratio. There's a different, like, and even she, like, she's like, well, even some vampires are, like, can be good. And <laughs> then he's wink. like, name one. And then, you know, force <laughs> comes in. But uh, we're like, definitely not him. He's a human. He sucks. He is one of those yeah. ones that, like, <laughs> not not a human good. A uh, human who is forced, he kind of sucks, not good sort of thing. I appreciate that they're actually working through some things, but there's such a backlog of things that they need to talk about that this feels a little too late. Yeah, it's been almost a season of them being together. Like, come on. This should have happened so soon into the relationship. Um, So Forrest kind of tells them that Graham and a couple of guys were attacked. Um, Graham is good. He's fine, but he's recovering. And then Riley is seeing Red and he's like, what kind of demon was it? Or sorry, uh, Buffy asks, what kind of demon was it? And then Riley is like, does it matter? And then they both leave. Back in Willow's room, Buffy comes in. Um, she asks about Oz, thinks that they uh, stayed up all night doing other things other than just talking. Um, and then she tells her that Oz uh, kind of figured out his whole werewolf side. And Buffy, in her brain, she's like, well, this is a no-brainer. Like, if he figured out his issue for leaving, then, like, you guys can just get right back to where you were. And Willow just kind of, like, goes straight in. She doesn't even set up to tell her friend. She just, like, like is in the exact same position, lounged, holding onto her teddy bear and tells her that it's complicated because of Tara. I don't view Buffy in this scene as like a negative response. I really do feel like it's her being genuinely shocked because she didn't view any of the signs. Um, And as soon as like, like Willow asks her, like, do you feel very like wigged out or are you confused or whatever like Buffy you could tell she snaps into place and she's like of course not like and I genuinely do believe her in that moment like she feels very genuine when she's telling Willow like no of course I don't I'm so happy you told me and I'm sure like someone like Willow has got to have so much anxiety kind of sharing that very intimate part of her life for someone like Buffy um and I could just imagine hearing words like thank you for telling me probably felt to her in that moment but also like props to Buffy because in any case a friend giving you like just a big mass of information um it's hard to react to like it's hard to react correctly it's hard to know what to say regardless of what the information is like it's hard to react well in the moment um 
and Buffy, I think she handles it very well. She's very human. She's very, um, you can tell she prioritizes Willow's feelings. And I think that that is credit to her and it's a credit to Willow for being honest and open. And I think this is just a tender scene that we honestly kind of needed between mm-hmm. the two. I agree, Leah. I think that it, regardless of what the big shocking news is, you're probably going to react with, you know, surprise and, um, you know, maybe not the the greatest when you realize that your best friend has a big giant secret that you didn't catch on to, um, you know, irregardless of kind of what that secret is. But Buffy pulls it through pretty quickly and, and handles it appropriately. Um, I think she alludes later on in the episode about not ha- not reacting well in the beginning. I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with her reaction. I think it just shocked her. It came out of nowhere. She's been best friends with Willow for a couple of years now, and this is something really big that uh, she didn't see coming. So uh, I think it's understandable for her to react that way. And I also, too, like, I'm very appreciative of the fact that, like, Willow is very um... – her communication skills are very, very well done in this episode. Um, she even talks to Buffy too. She's like, I was going to tell Oz, but then everything came rushing back. And like, and then she pauses and says like, he's Oz, you know. Um, and then Buffy just goes, I know. And so it's like, no part of like, no part of me thinks that like, how can you look at this episode? Sorry. And just like, not think that she doesn't love Oz or that she didn't love Oz or that she is not conflicted here. Like there is a huge part of her that is just very confused and conflicted because she loved Oz and because these emotions are so complicated. Um, If she just, I don't know. I just, I just love that she, we have those moments where she's like kind of giving that respect to their relationship and is like, it's Oz. And since Beauty and the Beast, and I said this before, Marty Noxon has been making parallels to Oz and Angel, even in having Oz be the one that takes the gem of Amara to LA to Angel, like it's very Mm -hmm. intentional. And here we have Buffy thinking about like Angel and her new relationship with Riley. She's thinking about how like, yeah, like I still care so much for Angel, but now I'm in a new relationship with Riley. So I think they're trying to show that Buffy is conflicted in the fact that she's moving forward with Riley and how to convey everything with Angel. And I mean, this all, this all had like, this is all happening in context with Sanctuary over on uh, Angel. Buffy's about to go back to LA and have this huge, huge confrontation with Angel and Faith. And then the next episode, uh, Angel comes back to LA. So this episode is also setting up the Buffy Riley and Angel Love Triangle mm-hmm. that's going to happen next episode too. So again, keeping context in mind as we're going through this conversation in particular. Um, and then Willow's like, well, I don't want to hurt anybody. And then Buffy's like, no matter what, someone will get hurt. Like you can't change that. But uh, the only thing you can do is just be honest. So um, wise. Uh, and then we just have this random ass like scene where like Adam <laughs> comes in, wakes up Spike and like is like let's have this plan and help each other and trade our vices and we're like okay cool. Um, oh, the of the writers are like you know Adam's really boring. Who can we? Who else have we really not been focusing on very much? But is also on our payroll that everyone mm-hmm. seems to really like. Let's put them together because now we can actually let's make see if Adam make more likable. They gave Adam probably his best line yet, where he talks about how he's he was a Boy Scout. <laughs> 
that actually was kind of funny. I think that's one of the things that makes Adam such a forgettable villain is just he's just boring. He has no personality. Mm -hmm. And I get that he's supposed to be like part Frankenstein's monster, part robot, all that stuff. But Frankenstein's monster in Frankenstein is like intellectual. He's quoting uh, Paradise Lost all the time. And he's like dabbling in philosophy and out debating his creator. Um, He's like a super interesting person. Um, And even like the, you know, more dumb Frankensteins are at least like interesting to watch. Adam is just, he's like a mannequin dressed up as a villain. (laughs) He doesn't really have anything that he brings to a scene. Yeah, they're really trying. They even have Adam doing those things, like quoting that stuff. The problem is, and we talked about this earlier on in, in the season, is there is no emotional tie to Adam. And that emo- the the mm-hmm. most there is is with Riley, but we don't really like the writers are struggling with what to do with Riley in the first place. So the fact that Adam makes no emotional impact on Buffy or any of the other Scoobies makes it really hard to keep him in the show. And Passion the Nerd even talked about how the writers are struggling with keeping the initiative even in the show too, because the conflict is supposed to be, instead of it being Buffy versus the initiative, it's supposed to be Buffy versus Adam. But they're not doing a good job of tying all this stuff in together. And the initiative's kind of just like in this weird like limbo state. So yeah, it, the writers just have so many threads up in the air, but nothing is all linking together. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to play out. So we jump over to Tara's room or Tara's dorm and Willow comes and this whole scene is like Sarah said in the last scene is so human like the the com- the complexity of emotions and feelings and people in your life and people who used to mean so much to you is just it's a lot to handle it's a lot to process especially when Willow and Tara are very new and they're not even out yet this has got to be just so hard um and Tara's just so sweet in this scene. She's like, I always knew if he came back, like, you don't have to explain yourself. Um, and Will's like, well, nothing happened. It was intense, though. We talked about a lot. Um, and then Tara's like, no matter what, I'll still be here. We'll still be friends. Like, just very, well, very sweet. I think too sweet. Tara needs to learn to step yeah, stand no, up I for kinda agree. <laughs> Yeah. Like, if I was dating someone and then their ex came in, I wouldn't immediately be like, oh, no, it's totally cool. You, you <laughs> jump right back in and take her. Heck no, man. Like, fight for your girl, you know? Um, like, stand up for yourself. You were in a relationship with her. Don't just roll over and let, you know, her ex come back in. No, I love Oz, but also like Tara, get some uh, get some courage, girl. But I also <laughs> think that speaks to Tara's character mm-hmm. that while it is a strength of hers that she is so kind, it's also mm-hmm. a weakness that she obviously does not know how to speak up for something that she desires and something yes. that she wants. And I mean, we've seen that um, as part of her character even before her and Willow were even a thing was like she didn't know how to speak for herself, and I think that. Willow gave her kind of the strength to speak more. And so it's like now she's kind of reverting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Leah, because we saw earlier in the season when Tara was wanting to hang out with Willow 
And I don't remember what episode what it was, but Willow said, oh, I already had plans in the bronze. Oh, it's goodbye, Iowa, or the IN team. And Tara immediately assumes that Willow doesn't want to hang out with her, not that she actually has plans. And so we're seeing a repeated pattern of Tara being minimized, like we talked about in Hush. She's so used to not talking to people. She's used to people not wanting to be mm-hmm. around her. I think Tara struggles with low self-worth. And so in her mm-hmm. mind, she's like, well, of course Willow would want to be with Oz because it's me. Like Tara doesn't think that she's worth And so Tara in her mind is like, yeah, okay, of course, go be with Oz. Like, I'll I'll be fine. I'm okay. And so it's, it's interesting to see like that common theme with a character that we don't really know very much about, but we know enough to see that she doesn't know how to advocate for herself. I was about to say the exact same thing, Sarah, probably not as well spoken for sure, but we could definitely tell that like, we don't know a ton, a ton about Tara. But what we do know about her personality and how she responds to things and what we've seen of her her so far, like it's so easy to see that. Um, Or even just like, especially in a closeted relationship, like I could see this being such a natural response by being like, oh, this isn't what she wanted. Um, If we're not out yet, maybe she doesn't actually like women or maybe she likes the fact that this is secretive, um, but this isn't exactly what she wants. She doesn't want to be open about this. Like there's a lot there um, in this scene that makes it really work. Um, I just wish that, yeah, and she would totally be in her right to be like, hey, what the heck, Willow? (laughs) You know, like, uh, but I also do feel like Willow is in a very confusing spot as well. It, It it's a very confusing scene and it's just it's just very human and to be fair to tara you know um i think that it is actually very healthy of her to um like acquiesce to whatever willow makes willow happy Mm. like you you have to understand when a relationship is over and if you really love that person then you're going to want them to be happy even if it's not with you so i'm not saying that willow or excuse me that tara needs to like refuse to let Willow go if Willow wants to go because I think that that is absolutely what she needs to do. I just think that it's a little sad that she just immediately assumes that Willow wouldn't want to be with her now that Oz is back. Yeah. Again, self-worth. Tara doesn't think that Willow would choose her over Oz because she doesn't think she's worth it. Um, So in the hallway of the college, Oz is kind of looking at a picture and then Tara walks by, but he assumes it's Willow because he can smell her scent off of her and she's wearing her sweater that she wore the day before. Um, And you see he's kind of like, oh, hey, like, it's you. Um, They start kind of small talking. Tara is like immediately super uncomfortable. And then he kind of picks up on like what's going on and is like, hey, that's Willow's sweater. (sighs) And his response is just, it makes me angry. It makes it makes me angry too, but at the same time, if you are roommates with somebody in college or like best friends with someone in college, and I'm not a girl, but I know this, you'd be sharing all <laughs> you, you'd be sharing all your clothes. Okay, that basically you have one wardrobe, you and your best friend. Yeah. Um, you guys are like together all the time, so it would make sense even if they were just besties that Tara would smell like Willow and she'd be wearing Willow's hoodie and all that stuff because. College girls are, like, attached to the hip when they're best friends. Well, I also think, A, (laughs) very accurate, David. But I also think that the whole point of the scene is to show that 
Oz knows Willow. Yes, I agree. Oz knows Willow better than Mm -hmm. anyone when everyone else was oblivious. Yes. And also, when you're in love with someone, you pick up on nuances. Um, But I think it's just he, he, he also knows what it feels like to be in love with Willow. And he can recognize that. And I actually, I like that Oz finds out instead of Willow telling him, only because I think that that is accurate to knowing someone. Knowing someone and to being in love with someone is you pick up on stuff quick. That's fair. And Willow's been dropping uh, gay hints since like, what, season two? Well, on top of the fact that she's been weirdly, she's been like weirdly distant since he's come back. Right. And I think he chalked it up to the fact that she's hurt over him. And I think that this was the part where it kind of clicked where it's like, oh, there's more going on than I was aware of. I think there's a difference between her wearing the sweater, which is initially what caught his sense. But he also specifically says her scent is all over you, which I think there's yeah. a huge distinction yeah. between that and then you're wearing her sweater. Um, if it was just the wearing the sweater thing, I'm like, okay, we could think of something a little bit better because like literally like – I still have friends that are borrowing things. It's been like three years. I haven't gotten it back. Um, but it, it's the fact that he he said like her scent is all over you. Um, I don't know, dude. He, him being like, are you too involved? Him like getting angry, grabbing her by the arm and just like, it, this is just not Oz. And I just don't like to talk about it. Don't like to see it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just supposed to be the wolf once again. But again, there's been no buildup other than Wild at Heart to show us that Oz struggles with um, having any sort of transformation apart from the full moon. Yeah, they just it just was not a good buildup. That's simply all it is. Yeah, he was a werewolf for the better part of a season before no, uh, two he start- seasons. Season two, season three, season four, and there was that one episode in season four where all of a sudden he couldn't control it because of Veruca. Right, and then bam, now right. it's gone. Yeah, he, yeah, it's like, well, where was all this? Especially in the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, in the very beginning of him turning, you would expect to see more of these types of outbursts mm-hmm. if he's prone to them before he starts to learn to control it at all. Um, it seems very like, you know, like there's a, a, a term in the like, you know, comic book or, uh, um, book community, this PIS or plot induced stupidity. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's kind of what is going on here. Uh, or WIS writer induced stupidity. <laughs> I think that they're making the character a lot more volatile and stupid than the character actually should be yeah. because the plot needs him to. Poor Tara, man. She's constantly being chased by something. Well, remember two episodes ago, literally in Superstar, she was like being attacked by another demon and then like and then in the Hush. Closet. Yeah, it's and constant. In, yeah, it's in <laughs> Hush. Um, so he chases her in the classroom, um, almost gets her. She throws a chair at him and then the initiative That was come the in. stupidest scene because, okay, we she know- She throws we- it and it's like a jump cut and he's like up in the air and you're like, okay, come on, be for real. Also, it makes it look like he got knocked out by the chair and you're like, man, what kind of a fragile vamp- or werewolf <laughs> is this that Tara throws the chair and knocks him out? <laughs> yeah, we're like, well, there's the balls that Tara should have exemplified earlier in this in the episode episode <laughs> yeah yeah exactly tara's like take this throws <laughs> i will say in the script they said that uh tara tried to utter a spell and she says back 
demon in the name of the 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 <laughs> that's all she got out poor thing <laughs> my mind would go blank in that moment too i would just be grabbing at anything throwing it tossing it just running around i would not be thinking to say anything Tara needs to come up with a couple of spells that are one word because she keeps trying to have like this whole <laughs> incantation and it takes far too long. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ugh, back of the crypt. I don't even know what happens here, dog. Like for real, like this whole like Adam and Spike conversation. I'm like, what even is being said here? They're talking about like logistics, but logistics, logistics for what? Like, okay. So Buffy is the slayer. She is the leader of humans. They need her for something. Um, and then Spike is like, well, she always tends to win. And then all the only thing we really know out of this conversation is that they're plotting something and that Adam promises to take the chip out of Spike's head if he complies. Yeah. So they leave it purposely ambiguous. So when Spike shows up at the end of the episode, you're like, I don't fully trust him, but I'm not sure what's going yeah. on. I don't think the writers know what's going on either. <laughs> like maybe people will just take it uh, for face value. You're like, I don't – okay, sure, right. Joss Whedon's on the forums trying to figure out what all the fan theories are so he can incorporate it into his season. <laughs> that sounds like Joss, honestly. He probably was doing that. Um, and then we go to the library. Willow is studying. Tara comes running in. Willow comes up to her and Tara kind of fills her in about what happened. Says they took Oz away to the initiative. And then Willow says that she has to leave and tell Buffy. And then Tara just says, I know. I honestly applaud Tara's character because she didn't have to do all of this. She was trying to tell the initiative that it was Oz. She immediately tries to advocate for him. She goes immediately to Willow to tell her. I mean, this would have been a very convenient way for Tara to get Oz out of Willow's life and have Willow yeah. all to herself, but she doesn't do that. I'm like, yay, applause for the bare minimum being a distant human being. She's like, <laughs> oh, keeping my mouth shut as they take away us, he tried to kill me. It's a monster. Well, we haven't necessarily always seen the best qualities in people in this show. I was going to say, like, um, Xander would have been like, heck yeah, he was attacking me. Take him away. Like, come Xander, on. Xander would have been riding in the truck with them being like, I'll talk to the supervisor as well. <laughs> he would have he would have bit his own arm drawing blood to make it look like that, that he attacked him. <laughs> limping That's so true i am hurt <laughs> breaks his own arm um and then back at giles's house man we got like none of giles's episode that's what's missing yeah. it just clicked me right now a lack of giles is a lack of quality that's all i have to say and the initiative we have poor oz like in a cage and then we see like forrest and riley um getting like the lowdown from the colonel and he is like you know we need to do a bunch of tests um this thing is a killer um and then riley is like about to shoot right away and then it turns into oz and it's like oh if it isn't just exactly what buffy was saying i just i think that it felt like they wrote forrest's dialogue for riley in this episode like i fully felt like Forrest should have been the one that was all gung-ho about this and Riley should have been more conflicted because this feels like a regression of everything that Riley has been saying for the past couple of episodes. And I don't know, it just, it felt out of character for where Riley is at now. Maybe if he was back a couple of episodes, but I mean, the whole family mentality, he's not wearing his uniform, but he's like over there, like about ready to kill this guy because of, because, uh, okay, because this this werewolf that they're hunting or whatever they're hunting killed one of their friends that we've never even met. So again, 
if the show wanted to raise the stakes, kill Forrest or Graham. You know what I mean? Then that would justify Riley's anger. But mm-hmm. Riley's frustrated because they killed someone that we've not even met on screen. I just I the the writers are shooting themselves in the foot by not going the extra mile and getting their hands dirty, if you you know what I mean. Also, it seems a little not necessarily problematic, but sticky, I guess, that um, the reason that Riley comes around and changes his mind is because it's someone he knows. It's, it seems very much like a man who's super sexist and then it happens to his daughter, mm-hmm. you know, sister, mom or whatever. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, well, actually, catcalling is bad because my daughter got mm. catcalled. But he's out doing it to everybody else, and then it happens to his friend or his daughter or whatever, and then he's pissed off about it. That it, That's kind of how it seems with Riley. It's like he was all for killing this werewolf until it turned out it was his friend. And then now he has a different tune to sing. It's like, well, if it wasn't your friend, you'd have killed him anyway. Like, I don't know. It, it just seems a little like he. It's it's not like he changes his mind because he realizes that he's wrong. He changes his mind because it, it impacts him personally. And I see what you're saying, David, but isn't that how we all kind of learn about things? Like we it, honestly, unfortunately, it it often takes us being impacted personally, even for the most especially for the most bigoted people, because then we start to see and put ourselves in other people's shoes. That's often how empathy arises. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but that is often the case. That's a very human response to not understand how someone is feeling unless it personally impacts us. It's unfortunate, but it is the case, you know? So I, I feel like it was kind of realistic, fair. you know? And I guess, it, you know, empathy and, uh, you know, the ability to like not be prejudiced, it, it, no matter how you get there, at least you got there eventually, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just that I, I see that in, men's spheres mm-hmm. a lot where mm-hmm. you know um the go-to would be like well what if it was your daughter or, or mother right. or whatever and it's right. like well yeah i get that you're making it like mm-hmm. personal for them but at the same time it you shouldn't need to be personal for you to yeah. realize that something's wrong yeah, yeah. i 100 percent agree with you sarah all right i don't sarah Sorry, David. I do understand your point, Sarah. Let me get to that. I I do understand it, and I think it is a real response people have. But I do think that there are certain things that are just objectively extremely moral that people shouldn't have to know people in order to know. There are certain small Mm -hmm. things I can understand that it's like someone close to you, something happened, and you realize, oh, shoot, like that's not good. But it's like there's stuff like racism. There's stuff like sexual assault. There's stuff like things like that. You shouldn't have to know somebody to know that it is so vile. Um, And often that just – it it takes – Somebody hearing a comment that someone says about their sister, about their their friend, about their body, about um, anything that they do for a lot of people to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that about other people's bodies. Maybe I shouldn't say that about um, what someone looks like or or their their personality or like things like that. Um, yeah, I don't is know. Is it possible? Is it possible that I mean, we've seen for multiple episodes now, like 
Forrest talking to Riley about how they're killers. They're just animals, the lot of them, like demons. They're just animals. Is it possible that it wasn't simply the fact that he knew Oz, but the fact that seeing that Oz like this werewolf was a man that also threw Riley. I think sometimes that visual of like, oh, this is a human because at this point he'd just simply been a vamp or a, a werewolf. So it's possible that the visual yeah. of it just being a human is what threw Riley as well because that doesn't fit into his perfect black and white mold of animal, bad guy, yeah. demon, you know? Like Riley never really had to get down and dirty with the messiness and the emotionalness of demons. Yes. It was always- They just caught them. He never- he caught them and killed them or they, they went to their cells. Like Riley never had to deal with the implications of mm-hmm. viewing them as a human or as a mm-hmm. person or a being that had life. Whereas Buffy has to because her whole goal isn't just about killing. It's about life and protection. And if mm-hmm. there is someone who isn't going to be, causing any sort of harm why kill them right and to your point sarah i think that it's it is interesting that um like riley's a soldier and all through history um soldiers have come up with ways to dehumanize the people that they're fighting Mm -hmm. um and it it they do that as a um there's multiple different reasons but one as a protection mechanism for them so that they don't feel as um deeply for having killed people because humans are inherently adverse to killing other humans. So in order to do so, you have to devalue them in your mind. And number two, so that they can be more efficient. Um, So it is actually, to your point, uh, kind of poignant that you have a soldier who recognizes the humanity in some, you know, his enemy, his foe, and that's what gives him pause. The problem with once again, with the metaphors falling apart, is that they are actually fighting, you know, non-humans. Um, but to Buffy's point of view or point, there is a difference between like certain monsters. You know, mo- some of them have more human in them than others. And werewolves, um, I would I would consider werewolf as something that's more akin to like uh, I work in an ambulance, like a patient that's having a psychotic break. Right. And they're out to, uh, you know, hurt themselves and others. Well, we, I, my first instinct to them shouldn't just be to attack them, to hurt them. Right. It should be to help them. Right. They're not in control of themselves in this moment. They're having an episode that is placing themselves and other people in danger. So let's, you know, remove them from that scene. Let's give them the medical attention that they need and keep them separate until, you know, they revert back to their normal their mind and then they can uh, you know be in control again and i think that is more of a, of an apt metaphor for a werewolf than you know a, an enemy soldier that needs to be taken out i just i appreciate what they're trying to do with riley in this moment i wish they had gone a little bit harder i think there are things they could have done to make it better um they are not making it easy for us to sympathize with riley because they're not willing to um, make hard choices when it comes to their characters, which is uncharacteristic of the Buffy writers. I feel like what made the first three seasons so impactful was how willing they were to kill off characters that needed to be killed off to make those emotional gut punches. And they aren't really doing that with Riley and Adam, like their storylines, and it's suffering because of it. 
I actually think that, and maybe this will be a hot take. I think that the show Buffy in general would be better if the writers were a little bit more brutal in killing off characters. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And that's not, that's not because I'm like, oh yeah, kill off characters because it like, oh, I love death and stuff. It's because there needs to be stakes and the the show has already shown that they will rise to those, those stakes and those levels. And it, it makes for an impactful moment. You're not doing it just for the shock value, but you're doing it because it furthers a storyline, the characters, whatever. Um, I don't want just pointless death, but it feels like there's no stakes this season. They they do have very shocking deaths, but it's never the people that you like. It's never the ones that you're stressed about. <laughs> it's not the core Scoobies. Yeah, it, it's like sur- characters that surround the core, like Jenny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they, they start, like, tasing poor Oz to get the werewolf out um, and start kind of, like, torturing him a bit. Um, and then we see back at Giles' house, we see the Scoobies kind of trying to figure out, like, um, how to get back into the initiative. And then Buffy and Xander are like, okay, we're going to go in. Willie, you kind of hack into the whatever to get us in. Will's like, hey, like, this is Oz. I'm coming. And they're like, okay, we'll figure it out. So we're going to have Anya and Giles <laughs> figure out how to – the one. The one person that can hack, they're like, no, you should definitely yeah. go in. Anya and Giles can hack, no problem. Anyone can. Yeah. Do- no, you're going to hack into a government The librarian and the ex-demon are going to be the techie ones. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> into a government mainframe, too, of all things. No. What in the world? Sometimes this show. Um, then, like freaking spy comes in and tells them about the back way i love how he said he walked in through the front door yet they're all literally five feet away from the front door and they didn't hear it open and close and it's fully closed when they turn around Giles needs some locks man i love how he's like you back for some more money spike <laughs> um and then back at the initiative poor oz is locked up and it has like no clothes they threw him in there like a literal animal um he has like bruises all over his body and then we see that Riley comes in. Clutch gives him some clothes and takes him out, but gets immediately caught by Graham and Forrest and a ton of the crew. You know Forrest is waiting for his downfall. Yeah. Okay. So this whole interaction here with Colonel McNamara and Riley is so frustrating to me. I guess it's – yeah, it's Colonel McNamara. This is so frustrating to me because, guys – who would be amazing in this scene? So much emotional impact, so much like they make this this moment just like Maggie. Oh, that much better for Riley to have to walk away and say I'm I'm an anarchist. Maggie Walsh. We literally they had to create a whole new character because Maggie is dead. Yeah, I agree. That was a a, a big dropped ball, I think, because um, the the colonel just doesn't have the gravitas that Maggie has. And so him standing up to that authority seems a little bit more cheap. Um, and I think she's just a better actress uh, than um, than he is an actor. And you already have an entire season's worth of context with her and context of her uh, basically forcing Riley to be under her. So him standing up against her would have felt earned. This doesn't really feel earned. I mean, it, it feels earned for Riley's character because it's a personal victory, but it's not, it doesn't hit with as much weight as it could have. Yeah. I think that 
Maggie as his mother figure, it just would have been so impactful to have Riley have to stand up to her, especially because she was manipulating him, not just like with the drugs, but also fundamentally too with everything that he believed. And everything that he was doing was because he believed it was the right thing to do, but also because he really wanted her approval. So by taking her out of the picture, introducing a character just for this episode, we're like, Riley has Riley doesn't care. He's already done the emotionally hard thing by having his mother figure killed and walking away from her. This conversation means absolutely nothing to him other than being in the initiative is everything that Riley's always wanted. So that is a bit of a break, but they also had to make Colonel McNamara very one-dimensional and the biggest, the bigoted character of the episode because they were not willing to do so with anybody else. So he comes across as one-dimensional, very much like, oh my gosh, it's all because of this girl, this slayer, and like, you know, it's just saying typical bad guy stuff. There's no nuance to the scene. It's very obvious what Riley's going to choose because this guy is so bad and Riley is so good, you know? I think a lot of this episode makes me mad because it almost insults our intelligence. It's like it makes everything, it like dumbs everything down to where it's like black and white, good, evil. Like it's just like annoying. It's like, okay. Back at the initiative, they go into the colonel's room and then um, tell this him This was to satisfying. Get- I will say. Yes. Um, And they're like, help us get Oz out. And then they mention, or he mentions that um, Riley was helping. And I love how like Buffy's like shocked. I'm like, don't you have some like credit for your boyfriend here? Like, wouldn't you want to think that he would get Oz out? She's like, what? He did the proper thing? Yeah. Uh, Again, Buffy with the crossbow, very intentional. The visual of the science versus magic, old versus new, feminine versus masculine. They're hitting us over the head with this, but I thought that was kind of cool. Well, she holds the colonel hostage up as they go through the halls and other soldiers come um, and they they tell them to go get Oz out. They bring Oz out again. Well, and then he like starts – I didn't even remember this. He starts like changing as soon as Willow comes near. I just like – oh, I just uh, – This whole part of him, like, all of a sudden just losing control over Willow just, like, doesn't make sense to me. I'm sorry, but it just does not. Like, we have never seen this side of him just, like, rapidly change into, like, the werewolf anytime he's feeling strong. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work. It doesn't logically make sense because if there was any time where Oz was going to go like this, it would have been when Willow actually cheated on Oz with Xander. Or was being brutalized by Veruca. Yeah. That if there was any time where he was well, going to have his jealousy yeah. take over him like this, it would have been when Willow was actually cheating. Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying to like say that, oh, it's because of negative reinforcement or it's any sort of negative stimulation. It's like, well, what about the time that Willow got kidnapped by the mayor and Oz threw over the vase like Tabby was talking about? I feel like Oz would have turned into a werewolf then. You know, so it just, mm-hmm. there's nothing that hinted to this other than when they wanted it to work for the plot. Um, and then Riley gets his moment of like they're escaping and he's like, you're a dead man, Finn. He's like, no, sir. I'm an anarchist. And punch Which, him. okay. I kind of thought that part was like gr- a great moment for Riley. It was kind of nice to see a little bit of a like a standing up to someone. <laughs> Leah's side eye. <laughs> I just like speaking as someone who finds the trope of like turning away from an established like, um, I don't know what the word is but like i find rebellion and that whole concept very interesting um and so it's like it takes a special kind of script to make that really boring to me 
<laughs> like, it's just like by this point, it's like, uh, it just doesn't feel organic. It just feels like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I like, I don't even, I know I'm partial. I don't have any words. I just like, Riley just bores me. He just bores me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you, Riley stands. You also have no emotional stakes for Riley. You have no idea what the initiative That's means it. to him. Yep. You have no idea uh, what his hopes and dreams were before he met Buffy. You have no idea what his personal life is like. How did he get to the initiative? Who did he hope to be? Was he planning on, uh, you know, making it a career? Like, we don't know any of these things. And so there's no stakes for him to leave. It's like, well, yeah, the initiative is a super evil villain organization. You're basically a stormtrooper working for Darth Vader. Like, obviously, you would want to leave. But, <laughs> you know, and then that's, that's the way it's presented. But it's like, show us why Riley yeah. cares about the initiative. Show us why he wants to stay. Show Makes us why it's leave. a hard decision for him to leave. Make us care about this decision. Because if the character doesn't care, then why should we care? Right. And that's why if they had Maggie Walsh around, it would have made it much more impactful. But it also would have been really impactful for Willow, too. Again, this was Willow's favorite professor. And to see her favorite professor now holding her ex-boyfriend hostage. like, And then Buffy, again, is Buffy going to kill a human? Like These are all big things that would factor into how impactful this moment would have been. I, I still think that I liked that moment with Riley. I feel like it was a little cheesy. I'm an anarchist. Okay. Sure you are, Riley. Um, but I, I at least liked that we see Riley actively making a stand, um, especially in an episode where he was shown to be a little bit more prejudiced against um, – demons and all that other stuff. Again, I know the bar is so low. It's not like my favorite moment of all time, but I appreciated it. So Rebel Riley Finn has to sleep <laughs> in like this. Uh, I don't even know what the, in the in It's is the that? school. Like abandoned cabin? It's the old school. Oh, it literally looks like, like an abandoned like warehouse or cabin. I don't know, somewhere. Um, So he's like rolling out his like sleeping bag and we have this like moment finally between Buffy and Riley. It's literally almost at the very end of the season and she's sitting down and being like, there's some stuff about my past. I'm like, y'all have said the O word, I'm guessing at this point. Like y'all like pretty much live together. You've been in a serious relationship for a long time and you're just now having this conversation. Like, I don't know. People are just funny when it comes to the whole like topic of like past and exes. Like I went on a date once uh, first date and the dude was like when was, uh, when was your last like boyfriend why did you guys break up and I went why are we talking about this on our first day hello I just met you 20 minutes ago we're <laughs> not talking about this and it's like the whole season of like Buffy and Riley and then like Riley's and then Buffy's just now telling him about her past I'd be like the, the cues that she gives throughout the season of her having like this traumatized past I'd be asking so many questions I'm like I need to know <laughs> What's happening here? Yeah, this was something we said back in Doomed when Riley's all like, I'm sure there are some good looking guy out there that done you wrong, but Buffy, you need to get over yourself. And I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, those are things you don't say unless you have like context for why she is the way she is. And to be fair, you know, maybe Buffy needed to be more uh, clear about what her traumas were. But that being said, like you don't just trauma dump on your first date, you know, uh, you have to like get to know someone before you feel comfortable and safe talking to them about what your traumas are. Um, and that takes 
a different length of time uh, in any relationship. And every person is going to be different. Some people feel very comfortable uh, talking about their traumas very early on relationships. And mm-hmm. other people, it literally takes years for them to feel comfortable talking about their trauma. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing is, is that Riley needs to be able to give Buffy time and allow him her time to come to him, but also make it so that he is a safe space so she feels comfortable enough to open up to him about all these things, which is just what he's not been doing. So anyway, that's a whole other conversation we had in Doomed. <sighs> and then we have the van scene. This just grips my freaking beating heart out. Of course it's in the van. It's a call back to innocence. When they had their conversation in the rain and he said he was going to, he wanted to kiss her. Oh, oh. And then Oz is like, I shouldn't have come back. Um, And he says he thought that he had changed. And he says that he couldn't even look at her without it bringing it out, which is like, okay. <laughs> And I just like, okay, do you, uh, you could tell that Marty wrote this episode just by the line by Willis saying, it was my fault. I upset you. Um, that's Willow did absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Absolutely nothing. I'm like, can we just take out that line? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we kind of touched on it earlier on, but I have a, like the question, do you guys think that Willow would have chosen Tara if Oz's wolfiness hadn't shown up? Because again, like we said, the episode kind of made it very clear what Willow's decision was going to be. I don't really know. I think that I feel like she would have chosen Tara simply because she had already mourned Oz sure. and kind of moved on. And I think that it's it's a lot more difficult to go back um, rather than after you've closed that chapter. Um but I don't think that's because she doesn't love Oz. I think it's just because Oz and her went through so much and then the relationship ended. And I feel like that's why mm-hmm. this episode is kind of unnecessary because their relationship was over. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think she would have chosen Tara, but that's because her and Tara were together mm-hmm. and they had a future and her and Oz really didn't have a future anymore. Yeah. That kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier is like, I, I think that uh, having Oz come back wasn't a bad idea. But then rehashing all the old stuff that was kind of already in the past didn't mm-hmm. seem like it really did anything. And mm-hmm. to your point earlier, Sarah, it's like, I feel like we already went over all this and you're just yeah. kind of making Oz seem like a bad guy for no reason. Like it would have made, I think it would have been honestly better if Oz came back, was super supportive of Willow. They got to like have a little bit of closure, um, you know, but then. They all they both kind of moved on with life and stuff. Like you didn't need to paint Oz in a bad uh, light to have us be okay with Willow being with Tara now. Yeah, Patch the Nerd talks about how he feels like it would have been cool if instead of Oz seeing Tara and getting triggered, if it had been Willow in that hallway, and she tells him that she has grown and is in love with someone else, and then you kind of just moved on from that part. Um, some people have even said they feel like that Willow is a passive character in this episode again because the choice was made for her. And I don't know that if I fully agree with that because I think that Willow's been making choices this entire season 
And in this episode, she's more trying to figure out how to tell Oz that she's with Tara so much as she's trying to decide who she wants. Because, I mean, she makes the choice to go to Tara and tell her that she's struggling and conflicted versus going to Oz and telling him that she's struggling and conflicted. There's little moments that show that Willow's very much leaning towards Tara and not Oz. Um, On the other hand, I will say that Willow does tend to not like to work things out emotionally and often likes to take the easy way out. And we've seen that many times over. And so I think it would have been very compelling if we'd actively seen Willow making a decision without it being handed to her. Because Willow struggles with hurting other people's feelings, with doing difficult and hard things. I think it would have been super impactful to have her make that choice and go to Oz and say, nope, I'm choosing Tara. Instead, it feels like the show just made an easy way out for her. Yeah, Willow comes from uh, the school of, I'm going to ignore my problem until it goes away. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Or someone makes a decision for me. (laughs) I really liked Oz's response to Willow when she says, it was my fault, I upset you. And Oz says, so we're safe then because you'll never do that again. Kind of like, that's that's stupid, Willow. I, I liked that in that moment, he's telling her, no, that wasn't you. It's a me problem. Um. And also, it, just perfect. I just, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even when she's like Loki breaking up with him, he's just so nice, so so nice. Oh my gosh! God. This part right here, when she says, "I missed you, Oz. I wrote you so oh, many letters, but I didn't have so any place to send them. You know, I couldn't live like that." And he says, "It was stupid to think you'd just be waiting." And she says, "I was waiting." This part made me cry. I feel like some part of me will always be waiting for you. Like if I'm old and blue hair and I turn a corner in Istanbul and there you are, I won't be surprised because you're there with me, you know? And he says, I know. Oh my gosh. Okay, I will say, it is so unnecessary of them to give him such a romantic (laughs) speech when they're ending their storyline. Like, I appreciate it and I think it's accurate to their characters. But, like, why on earth be, like, I'll always be waiting for you when you're trying to, like, close a chapter for someone? Like, I hate it. You don't say that to someone you're not sexually attracted to. (laughs) I I think they should have split these into two episodes. I think they should have had an episode where Oz comes back. And then they should have another episode that was fully devoted to the Willow and Tara relationship. Because I think that it was... A kind of a ballsy move for them to bring back such a beloved character and a beloved relationship. And by the end of the episode, we're like, am I crying because I miss Oz and Oz is leaving? Or am I crying because the last moment between Willow and Tara is so sweet? Like you just don't know anymore because mm-hmm. you don't, you're conflicted. You don't know how to feel. And that's not to say that that's necessarily bad because I really do love a healthy portrayal of, of ending relationships. But you're more invested in Oz than Tara at this point. And so you have the audience has that going for Oz versus Tara. And to be fair, um, when the audience has to mourn Oz leaving, and we didn't get to do that the last time we left because there was such like bitter feelings. So there is a portion of it that, um, you know, I mean, this happens anytime you go through a breakup, you have to mourn the loss of that relationship. And the audience has to mourn the loss of the relationship between Willow and Oz. And they're getting a chance to do that at the end of the scene. It's just unfortunate that they also paired that with the beginning of Tara and Willow's relationship. Because then you're you're not rejoicing in their beginning. You're mourning the end of the other relationship that you cared about more at that point. And Agreed. those feelings are more... 
powerful. And I, I feel like they kind of overshadow the beginning of uh, what would be the defining relationship for Willow in the show. And then we have our last closing scene after Oz tearfully leaves after a sweet embrace that they give each other. Um, a very iconic kind of solidification of Tara and Willow's relationship where she comes up with a candle, gives it to her, and Tara just assumes everything's over. Tara assumes that she's going back with Oz. Um, and she says, I understand you have to be with the person you love. And I like that it's like when when they confirm their relationship, it's like the L word is dropped. It's like, okay, I'm really in this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Willow says, I am. Um, Willow apologizes, says she's going to make she it up to her. gives her a little her. kiss of life. <laughs> we all could have been spared your little kiss of life. <laughs> Emperor's new groove, yes. For the last time, it wasn't a kiss. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, she says she's going to make it up to her, and then Tara blows out the candle, and it goes black. Honestly, they the show just does a fantastic job of getting around the censors. The idea of Tara blowing out the mm-hmm. candle to represent a kiss and to represent the start of their relationship um, is just, like, brilliant. So, yep, yep, yep. All right. We did it. That was New Moon Rising. Goodbye, Oz. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. We appreciate you being our extra set of uh, opinions and voice and ears on this very traumatic and overwhelming episode for us. So thank you for being our emotional support person. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Everyone go and hug their dogs now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you for joining us. And uh, as always, guys, you can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us your thoughts and opinions uh, at Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. Definitely check out our Buy Me a Coffee tier if you want to hear the spoilers for this episode, including David's thoughts. It's going to be good. We have lots to talk about. I always go into an episode like, oh man, there's not really much to talk about spoilers. And then as we go along, I'm like, oh yeah, there's actually a lot of stuff that I want to talk about that ties into future seasons and this is definitely one of those so definitely check that out guys as always thanks so much for your support and we will talk to you next time